Adam, thank you so much for doing this, for coming on the podcast. Um, hope you're well. Can you let the listeners know who you are and what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Adam Bridegan. I'm the chief marketing officer for Roan. Roan is a, you know, a men's premium activewear brand that was founded in 2014. And really, you know, my, my career has spanned primarily focused on e-commerce and um, investing in startups, but um, no, I'm excited to be here with you. Fantastic. So what were you like, sort of like in your early years? Did you have a marketing mind from uh, like an early age or like what, like maybe walk me through like, you know, you kind of getting into college, that kind of thing. Like what was your, what was your yeah. childhood like? So, uh, man, I'm, I'm a huge fan of music. Um, I'm not very artistic. Um, I have a very analytical brain. So I played sports, very competitive when it comes to sports. So played basketball, soccer, football, and ended up landing kind of soccer throughout high school. And, uh, you know, I, I would, I would say I really just didn't know what I wanted to do other than I enjoyed school, but I really enjoyed sports. Uh, and it wasn't until college and, and talking to some peers and, you know, some just anyone that I could find that I felt like was successful, just, you know, what should I go to school for? What should I study? And everyone kind of recommended, well, since you don't know exactly what, like, you know, I, I, I didn't have a passion to be a doctor, right? Like, and I think a lot of people just kind of know and like that that's kind of their calling. And for me, it was like, well, I just, man, I, I just want to do something and be successful and, and be, and work really, really hard. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's real estate or, or whatever. Um, but the advice that I got was to go and study finance, <laughs> just, just to, you know, to make sure that I had a really strong background and, you know, that I could get a job if I needed to. So that's what I did. I, I went and got a degree in finance and started um, working as an analyst and, and thought that I would go towards Wall Street. And, and that was kind of like the dream while, while you're in the finance program. But after three years as an analyst, I was like, wow, this is awful, right? Like every day looking at Excel, building pricing models, and I, I just did not have a, a passion there. And so I was really getting burned out after three years as an analyst and decided to join a startup. And as I joined a startup, it was all of a sudden I went from three years of very structured, like this is what you need to do and, and here's what you're responsible for. And then as a startup, it was like, hey, we need help with marketing. And I was like, wow, like, there's this whole digital marketing place. There's this Google, there's Facebook, and there's all this advertising. And then I quickly learned that my financial background would play a pivotal role in my career, right? Because what was happening was this, this digital transformation where all of the advertising and all of the e-commerce was very, you know, oriented in analytics as far as what you could track, how you could monitor things, and that really, I, I would say, really propelled my career and, and my focus of just making sure that I understood the nuts and bolts of marketing and the, all the math behind what goes into a customer acquisition cost, what goes into lifetime value. All, all of that really laid a solid foundation. And then I kind of rediscovered 
you know, the artistic side of my brain, whereas like, you know, very analytical and, and structured. But then all of a sudden when you're doing marketing and it's like, ooh, well, like, what if this works, right? And then how can I test this on a campaign? And that's where I really found the passion for marketing was it's, it's like this blended approach where you can use both sides of your brain and, and you kind of uncover all of these things about yourself that you had no idea. You were like, oh, well, I never thought I was artistic until I was put in this circumstance where I had to think about branding or I had to think about positioning and thinking about marketing personas, right? So that, that to me just kind of unlocked and, and from there doors opened. I joined a few different startups. Some of them failed miserably. Some of them were very successful and then went and worked uh, at Priceline where was managing millions of dollars in online marketing and truly just loved everything that I was doing there. And then uh, about six years ago, Nate Checkets and, and I became friends and, and he told me about his business idea to start Roan. And, you know, me, at the time I was ready to go, you know, I was like, okay, this is, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to, to roll the dice after being with, you know, a big multi-billion dollar corporation and, and wanted to take a little bit more risk and, and kind of the rest is history. And so how did you land at that multi-billion dollar corporation? Was that through some form of exit or kind of like, maybe walk through some of those uh, career experiences that you had. Yeah, no, so that that, that reference was uh, Priceline. Priceline and the booking group is a massive online travel agency. And just the amount of exposure that we had to Google and Facebook and all of the different uh, teams that we are working with as far as A-B testing when it comes to the e-commerce website, uh, all of that and just the responsibility that I had to manage that type of budget just really opened my eyes uh, as far as how to scale all of the different units uh, of a marketing team. And for example, making sure that you have a really solid foundation and data and analytics and attribution modeling. And so because of the, just the sheer budgets that we had and the access to data and the, the reporting that we had, it, it helped me understand some of the issues that happens when it comes to marketing technology and attribution, right? Um, and making sure that you put the checks and balances in place, because I think that that's one of the biggest challenges uh, that most direct to consumer brands face when, when they read in you know, all of the publications and online articles about kind of how do, you, how do you build, you know, direct-to-consumer advertising? Uh, and then if you don't understand the marketing technology and the way that their attribution counts things, it can lead you into a very, I would say, destructive path where it becomes growth at all costs. And what I mean by that is you can, you can read ample examples of brands that spend their way to hitting top-of-line growth numbers, but realizing when you back into the math as far as all the money that they're spending and, and not accounting for the overlap from different channels, they're actually losing massive amounts of money. And then they have to continue to raise money to hit those numbers because they don't have that structure in place when it comes to you know, their, their modeling. And so th that's what I really mean in that regard. Um, but because of, because of that background and understanding 
some of those challenges, it's helped me as we have, as we've built Roan over the last six years to be very conservative with how we're spending our money and to make sure that we have the data and technology in place. Because if you don't have that, and then all of a sudden you're just throwing money around, it, it gets you into a lot of trouble. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stay focused. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about like your day to day as a CMO and kind of like what were the early days of Roan like? Like, what were you guys doing in the first year, like compared to what you do now? Uh, well, I think the the benefit to joining a startup is the ability to wear multiple hats, right? And to learn and the pace at which you're able to learn. So day to day coming in Roan was, okay, let's set up Google Analytics. Okay, let's set up Shopify. Let's set up all of the different apps. Let's set up a customer service team. Let's set up our customer reviews. And you're doing a lot of setting up, right? And just because you, you're, you have nothing and so let, let's get something. And so at, in the early stages, it's making sure that we're getting enough data on a, you know, and, and getting those things in place. So, okay, is our website being indexed by Google, right? And getting all those things from the organic search in place. And again, when you don't have money, it forces you to learn fast. It forces you to be very scrappy. So we were doing everything that we possibly could that was free that was um, you know, building the content. I knew from you know, my days at Priceline and others how important organic search is. And when you don't have money and, and you, you have to build the content. So we, I mean, that was one of the first things that we did was, was build content that is now paying dividends six years later. Um, and so we, we, we actually outranked some of these big brands like Target and, and others for a lot of keywords because of this, the work that we did six years ago, right? By playing by the rules. So I, I think the, the day to day was just getting everything set up until we could, we knew that we were at a place like, hey, if we had another hire, there's enough of an efficiency here that it's going to be worth our investment in this person. So it was getting Facebook and Google and all of our advertising platforms in place. And then, then when we realized, okay, I, Adam doesn't have enough time to do all of this, now we can start hiring, right? And so I, I think there's kind of that point where you, you do have to put in kind of the blood, sweat and tears to get everything up and running. Just to just to start getting sales coming through, and then once you do, it's just layering on the different pieces. So yes. if yeah, in my day to day now is now that I've you know I've built our our team, we we have our branding team, we have our community team, which is responsible for all of our product seating, all of our events and influencers, things like that, and then we have a performance marketing team whose job is to on all the mathematics that go into scaling our business. So paid social, paid search, and, and exploring all these new platforms like programmatic television, programmatic direct mail, all, all of those areas. But it, it you know, it, it's taken us six years to do that and, and we've been very methodical. So my day-to-day -day now is just making sure that I have the KPIs from all these different groups and that I'm helping in all these areas to drive the company forward.
And to that point, to today's point, I guess, when you think about e-commerce and you think about, you know, growth and kind of where we're going, I mean, what do you see as either a trend now that maybe has legs or what do you think is the future of sort of the direct-to-consumer model? I mean, we, we've kind of seen, and whether it's Facebook ads, um, you know, I mean, before that, Google, I mean, do you see, like, what are you seeing as kind of, I mean, going into television, like, what, what type of growth, like, do you, what gets you excited or, or that you see yeah, potential yeah. in? Well, first and foremost, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball, right? Like, and I'm a very, you know, to me, the, the data has to prove itself. And so I think, I think a lot of different, you know, events and <laughs> like, I would say industry events that you could go to, everyone's kind of asking that same question, you know, like what, what, what are we, what should we be doing that we're not doing? And what is everyone most excited about? And, and it really just depends on the company as far as how they're built, as far as where they're at and what's going to be the most, you know, most profitable for them and, and yield the most growth. But I can tell you from my perspective, I think that there's a massive opportunity with some of the, data technology that's coming on the attribution side for streaming and television. I think there's a massive opportunity in streaming. I think historically television ads were very difficult to quantify and, and measure. A lot of them were reserved for the, the McDonald's of the world, the, the big brands that could spend $50 million uh, and just say it's, it's a branding effort, right? Um, and awareness. But I do think that um, streaming has come a long way. There's a lot of platforms that are going to help us uh, to quantify the lift and and get to really put, I would say, substantial budgets behind that. Um, I think there's a lot of arbitrage opportunities even now with Instagram, Facebook. I think there's going to be you know additional social platforms like TikTok and others where. I, 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 I'm not one who believes that, you know, the Facebook CPMs are so high that you can't make it work. Right. And I think that's, I think that's a pretty myopic view from a lot of marketers that it's like, Oh, the CPMs are raising. Oh, we need to find something else. Well, I think we need to take a step back and say, we need to create better content, right? We need to, we need to improve our conversion rates as us as marketers on these different channels. And yes, there's going to be some channels that, don't fit for your brand because of the cost. But I think that's in many ways, typically a scapegoat where it's just looking for something new. Um, so, I mean, so the things that get me excited, I, I think there's still a massive opportunity when it comes to influencers and on the different platforms, how, how we work with them and athletes and things like that. Um, and, you know, on the programmatic television, I, I would say those two areas get me really excited and, and I'm excited to test them and, and see what they yield for us. Any thoughts on Facebook sort of campaign budget optimization? I mean, I don't know how much in the weeds you are with that sort of thing, but uh, you know, ABOs versus CBOs kind of just like iterating on creatives, just like, what do you, I mean, to your point, like, I think you're right. There's still a big, opportunity with Facebook and Instagram. Um, and, you know, if you're still 
kind of maintaining a level of, you know, customer acquisition that sort of makes sense for the business model. Um, you know, it's kind of like, well, CPMs who cares, but I'd love to hear your, your thoughts, you know, from your seat, how you think about yeah. um, those variables. <clears throat> so I would say from a Facebook and Instagram perspective, it really depends on the brand and what their goals are, whether it's, you know, app downloads or just getting people to watch their videos. I think everyone kind of has their own unique funnel depending on who you're targeting and, and what the, the lead time to conversion is. So I, I think it varies. I, I will tell you for us, it comes down to just making sure that our customer cohorts, our segmentation is as defined and refined as possible, right? To me, it's if you're going to win on content, you need the right content to be hitting the right cohorts. And oftentimes, I think most brands kind of just pray and, and just spray and it's where, where I'm, from a budget standpoint, right? Where it's just like, okay, like we have $3,000. We're just going to, we think this is our person. We're going to go after them versus very targeted um, campaigns for a specific purpose that fits into their unique funnel. And so for us, I mean, if, if we're doing a video campaign and we want to just get people their first exposure into hearing about the brand, well, I'm going to optimize that differently as far as a budget, as far as who goes in this cohort, whether or not they're um, existing customers or prospects. It, I think you brand, as granular as they can possibly be, I think is going to help them when it comes to optimization. Um, I think there's, there's plenty of talent um, and free information available to founders out there when they're just getting started. And, you know, you can YouTube, you can watch YouTube videos and others, but I, I think it's great to learn all of those things, but you need to really do what is best for your brand. And I honestly, I think you zig where people zag. And what I mean by that is, if every brand and everyone's doing the same thing and everyone looks the same and has the same value propositions. Well, if you, my hypothesis would be, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do that and expect that I'm going to get some sort of different return, it's just not going to happen. Right. And in my opinion, so when approaching those things, I'm going to try to do something different from a creative perspective or test different, you know, um, price points as far as what I'm willing to spend to, to drive that action. And to the creative point, how do you think about kind of sourcing those assets? Is that something that you, you like to have that in-house? Do you like to work with agencies and freelancers and influencers? How do you kind of, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So for, for us, we do have an internal branding content team. Um, it's an amazing, again, these are really talented individuals who think very differently and are willing to test um, and everything kind of goes through them, but we do augment that team with a, a lot of different content creators around the US and, and the globe, because as we're expanding to these different places, like the type of content that one would create for LinkedIn is different than what you would, which you would create for Instagram. And that's completely different than what you would create for TikTok. 
And unfortunately, when you don't have budgets and you have a very limited time, what happens is you create a piece of content and then what do you do? You share it across all these different social channels. Over time, you realize the inefficiencies of that approach. And so I think we're now at that scale where each individual channel, and when we think about the growth potential of that channel, is how much time and effort we dedicate towards content on that, on that channel, right? So for us, like we're still this brand that is new and fresh, and we still have not touched a lot of these um, buying personas and, and demographics. So for us, I'm, I'm getting content creators this year that have looked very differently than two to three years ago, right? Younger demographics, you know, athletes and others and, and dancers and, and musicians, like things that when you're just starting, for us, it was just starting, you know, gym trainers and others. Now we're really trying to expand that horizon. So we, we need different content creators. And we're at a point now where yes, we can curate that um, and have a budget allocated towards that. And, uh, and you know, our, our budget's not anywhere near some of these, the big box brands, but I still think that we're scrappy enough that we're, we're gonna figure, figure it out with the content creators that we have on, on making sure that we bring in more to the fold. And I guess other than my guest that I had that um, was a TikTok creator himself, you're probably only guest that's kind of mentioned TikTok a couple times. Um, are you are you are you all on the platform? And if so, kind of like what are you, what are your early what are the thoughts on it? It's it, actually uh, in full transparency, it was just on a call with him today um, because we are just getting ready to launch and. Um, we're, we're really excited, very bullish on the growth of this channel. And it's a, to me, it's a new and exciting way for people to hear about Roan and to kind of see this different side of us, right? Whereas, I think, you know, we, when, when you start your brand, you kind of have this thesis as far as exactly who you're targeting. And what you realize is that it evolves, right? Like over time, as you bring more people in and as, as, as your product line and your assortment evolves, there, there's, this, there's this growth. And so to me, it's kind of like this invigorating experience for TikTok, just knowing that there's this, there's mountains of, of content creators that are gonna bring a unique perspective to what Roan can mean for them in their life, right? And so, whether or not they're, you know, on Broadway and they, ha you know, are doing these dance routines, like I, I want Roan to be there, right? Like I want Roan to be involved with these creators and, and really just helping them or allowing them to see what they can do with our products, right? And our product is, is now is made for guys to be active, to be comfortable and active regardless if, if you're working out in the gym, we understand that everyone's not working out in the gym. So great. So whatever you're doing to, to be active, like I want to see what you can create for us. And so that's how I think we are going to approach TikTok is like people, and you also have to think about why people go to TikTok, right? And why do they go to Instagram? Why do they go to LinkedIn? And in, for us, like if you're opening TikTok and, and we're just like, oh, hey, do you want to buy this shirt? 
Like, no, that's not where they're there. They're there because they want to be entertained. They want to relax. They want to, they're, they want their brain to just decompress from all the stresses and they want to laugh. So like, we need to be there. Like we need to make sure that Roan is creating content that they want to laugh about, not that we're just trying to push product. And so that to me as a marketer is really exciting, just like all these other different channels. So I think as long as we remain open and flexible to that, we, we really can't go wrong. I think what the challenge is, is when brands go on there and they keep doing what they think they should be doing, right? For their brand. And then they don't allow themselves to really experiment or embrace what the reason why people go to that certain platform. And I think that's, you know, they kind of, they're dead on arrival. Yeah, that's great. Um, speaking of other channels, what about like text marketing, text message? Um, any, any thoughts there just generally? Yeah. So I, I would say if you had asked me that same question a year ago, I would have been like, man, that's, I just, I, I don't know how people feel about receiving text messages from brands. And I think your phone historically has just been, you know, one of those areas where you just, you want privacy. You, you don't want to be bothered unless you've, you know, engaged with something and, and it's like a push notification. But even then it, it just, it just felt like disjointed. However, I do think that that is changing because I think people are now realizing that their device is kind of everything to them, right? Like it's like their portable laptop, they can do all their work um, and they can, you know, constantly checking email, but it's also their entertainment device too. So I, I also think it depends on kind of the cohort of customer and the age demographic too, but it, it does seem to me with the data and engagement that I'm looking at that people are becoming more open to engaging with a brand via text message, via SMS. And so you're seeing a, kind of this explosion of technology with chatbots and uh, a lot of platforms built to, to help you basically create an identical experience as a marketer from what you would do on the email side to the SMS side, as far as, you know, drip campaigns and nurturing campaigns. So I think we are going to tread lightly in this area, but I, I will say like most other brands, we have seen some really positive initial results. How do you stay on top of all this? I know before COVID there were, you know, maybe a plethora of conferences or, um, you know, just, I don't know, industry organizations. Um, how, how do you kind of, you know, kind of educate yourself and kind of stay, you know, with the, with the methodical approach to all this? Um, yeah, I, I, again, I don't, I don't pretend like I have all the answers or I know what like the next platform that's going to blow up is going to be. Um, I, I do read a lot. Like I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and a lot of time on kind of industry reporting, CNBC, just understanding what's happening in retail, understanding what's happening in these areas. I, I personally don't attend a lot of conferences. Um, I maybe go to one or two a year. And I've, I've just been to enough where 
it seems like most of the time people just kind of want an escape and an excuse to, you know, drink alcohol. Go to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which again, I have nothing, you know, if, if that's how you want to do it, fine. But for me, it's like, if I'm going to give away time from my family uh, and my kids, like it better be, I better get an ROI on that time investment. And so I, I'm just very selective of those opportunities. Uh, I do think there's a lot of great learnings just from being at those conferences and, and hearing about them. But you also have to understand too, that even if a brand is absolutely crushing an in, in area, they're, they're not exactly going to give you a case study as far as the X, Y, and Z is, is how they did that at a conference. It might be one thing from an agency, if, if they are able to share information uh, as far as what they've done for a client. But I think very rarely do brands get up there and say, well, here's exactly what we did and here's why you should do it too. Because everyone knows internally that like you're, you're building this internal secret sauce as far as your, your data stack and, and all of these things. And you, the last thing that you'd want to do is go out there and share it with competitors and, and things like that. So it's just, I think you just have to be very cautious with the information that is being shared. And if it's general, like certain channels of things that they've done, great. And I think agencies have some of that flexibility to share. Uh, but for the most part, I, yeah, I, again, I only attend maybe two or three conferences a year. Most, most of my learning just comes from um, st keeping in contact with a lot of CMOs and a lot of marketers in the space and just sharing best practices with them and, and seeing what type of trends they're doing knowing that the data that we're sharing is agnostic, right? Like we're not, we're, no one's giving anyone trade secrets, but hey, if, if I can talk to the CMO of, you know, this, this other brand, I'm not gonna name names, but that, that's typically who I will go to first. Like if I'm getting pitched on a software or something, you're probably, I mean, I'm not gonna, I, I will listen to you, but like, I know you're a salesperson. I'm gonna go and talk to another CMO who's actually using you to get a reference as far as, Hey, this is what they're telling me and give me the real story. Right. Like that. And you mentioned, uh, some investing, right? Yeah. What, what, what's your, uh, what's the angel <laughs> investing side of this look like for you? Are, are you I mean, doing a lot of deals or no, definitely, definitely not doing a lot of deals to me. It's if, if I feel that I can be a, a strategic, uh, partner in an investment from, if I understand the business and I understand where they're going, then yes, I will invest um, some of my own money, but it's not, it's not like, Hey, I'm this massive investor. No, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something that I, I'm, I'm finding more and more passion for just, you know, over the last six years of, of being at Rowan and seeing some of the, all the key learnings and mistakes that I've made. If I can help, other e-commerce brands or other brands scale and and i know hey you're you're gonna hit this wall right like avoid this wall and if i feel like i can do that and it, and the business is attractive to me then yeah i will i'll, I'll make an investment yeah that's great and um i guess what's the process like for that are you going through referrals like you're getting you know i don't know other investors maybe you know 
present the opportunity to you or do you just take unsolicited like pitch decks <laughs> across your, your email or uh, like, how, yeah, how do you, uh, I, I definitely don't take on you know any pitch decks um, all of it has really just been kind of referrals of people who have said hey you know I've got this person and you know this friend and they're starting this business you know would you would you be willing to take a look at it and, and help them out and and the ones that I you know through that through that trust factor if I look at it and it is something attractive and I'm like wow I really think that with a little bit of capital and a little bit of advice of just you know strategic advice then and if it makes sense then yeah I will but you know again like it's it's a passion that you know who knows down the road what that looks like but i think you know even you as an entrepreneur it's it's a i mean starting a business and bootstrapping a startup is tough like people don't understand how much it sucks right like think it it really sucks sometimes like it's it's the lowest of lows but it's also the highest of highs right and the stress and the anxiety is real and so when you've been through it like you just come out so much stronger it's like working out man when you're working out it sucks right and like you're like why do i do this but then after you feel great and so that's kind of the like where i found my passion for startups was i was like what the what in the world am i doing i have all this gray hair i'm stressed out all the times i haven't been able to take a vacation you know my kids are always asking me for help and then I'm like yelling at them because I'm so stressed out, right? Like it, it's, it's real. But now that like you, you've seen some of the success and you've seen some of the growth, you're like, wow, I really like, I kind of enjoyed this roller coaster. So I wanna help others with this roller coaster. And so I, I think that's really what it boils down to. It's, 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 it's kind of this unique experience where after after you've been through it you you, you kind of want to do it again right uh maybe maybe <laughs> it, it, it sucks i mean when you say it sucks i, I mean I, I felt it um it, it is it is challenging um covid does not help um i was going to ask you about what do you see yourself doing long term like are you a career sort of startup guy at this point would you say would you you know Rome becomes you know uber successful which it already you know you guys are already massive but you know beyond measure where you're exiting so let's say would you would you start over again in those organic days and you know starting to set up analytics and all this would you do that again because that's an interesting I I have different guests that you know some are just like I'll do it again. And then I've got some that are just like, this is it. I'm done. So I'm, I'm curious yeah. kind of how you, how you feel about that. Well, I mean, it's a great question. It's something, you know, that I'm, I'm starting to think more and more about. Um, I mean, I have three kids and, and an amazing wife Ooh. and um, I'm kind of at that stage where like, I want to, I want to go to my kids' basketball games, right? Like I, I want to go to their sporting events. And for the last six years, I haven't been able to do that, right? Just because um, everything was so dependent on us to just figure it out, right? Like your job is just 
figure it out and make the company successful. And right. And it's like this massive burden that you put on yourself. And so I think long-term for me is more on the investing and, and advisory side of like, I, I would want to help founders be successful. Right. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't, I'm the type of person and, and I've discovered this about myself is I don't, I don't need to be the number one. I don't need yeah, to be. Don't the, take the headache home over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't need to be the CEO, the founder to feel good about myself. And I'm, I'm totally fine being the silent person in the background that's helping the company be successful. And, and that's the role, honestly, that I've played with Roan is like, I, I'm, I don't want to be front and center. I don't, I don't have to be out there. Uh, I'm totally fine being in the background and, and, and that's worked. And so for me, I think if I can continue to do that, um, where advising, investing and helping these companies be successful and just make sure that they don't waste a lot of money. Right. Like, I think that that would, that would be enough for me to keep me going. Like I still get excited about the business opportunities as far as where they're going and the growth potential, but I think it would be more of, Hey, I'm going to, you know, cut back my hours so that I can actually spend more time with the kids. Um, is, is kind of where I'm at right now at this stage of my life. I respect that. Um, what about, uh, COVID? Like how have you adapted? What, what are some of the things that you think as we start this reopening process, I mean, what do you, what are you seeing as like silver linings, like just broad strokes? Like what, how are you kind of processing yeah. it all? Honestly, like number one, first and foremost, I think I'm full of gratitude in the sense of it has forced me to focus more on my health, my wellness, to uh, focus more on my family, to express a lot of the blessings from God, right? Like that to me is really like, it's, it's, it's given me this time to really reflect and just be like, wow, like it's your health is your number one asset, right? And um, I, I think that's honestly, I think that's a really important for the world. And you're starting to see just some really great things happening as far as love and humanity. And I think that, that that's huge. As far as on the business side, I, again, I think there's certain market conditions that happen and either they can make or break you as an entrepreneur and as a business person. Unfortunately, I think there were so many brands that were so leveraged and so focused on growth and so focused on traditional retail that you're starting to see the bankruptcies. You're starting to see things that, um, you know, there, there was trouble before and then this just um, like just greatly exploded the, the time frame for when those things were going to come to fruition, right? And so when I look at that, and I'm like, okay, there's this changing landscape of retail. Well, how, how can I use this as a benefit, right? Like if, if 
if this is changing, well, how do I adapt to this and be a winner? How do I be a competitor in this space? So to me, like, do I think retail will eventually bounce back in some fashion? Yes. Right. Like I'm, I don't, I don't think people are going to stop shopping like that, but I do think behavior is going to evolve. Right. Like I, I don't know if certain malls are going to see the same foot traffic as before. And so that means that some of the stores are going to have to adapt. I do think that there's a place for virtual experiences with, uh, with retail that are going to be highly, I would say less, less transactional, but more human based interaction. And so what I mean by that is like, if, if I need a certain product and it's an expensive product and, and I have a lot of questions about it, I think it's going to be the brands that invest in the virtual experience as far as telling the stories, having staff available to answer questions virtually, um, advancements in chat and things like that. I, I think all of those technologies are going to allow brands to win in this new landscape, right? I think customers will still have the same questions and you know, depending on the purchase, like that's not going to change. It's just how they transact and, and making sure that you as a brand are, are communicating and, and educating them better than your competitors. So I think there's a massive opportunity there, whether or not people, you know, remain six feet away from each other in the future until there's a vaccine. I don't, I don't know. Right. But I, I think knowing what we know now, you have to focus on your e-commerce experience, right? You have, we know that that's massive and brands have been focusing on that for a long time, but the ones who kind of take it to the next level, um, try to do something different, I think are the ones that really excite me, which is like, what, what can we do now to give people a better shopping experience knowing that things have changed? And so that, again, I, I, I'm very excited on the retail side because I think there's going to be a lot of winners that come out of this who were, who were kind of unheard of before, but were doing things in a strategic, methodical way, whereas a lot of the people who kind of everyone pointing the finger as like, oh, we want to be like them, you know, I think those, I think those brands are going to be the ones that are in some serious trouble. Well said. Well, this has been great, Adam. Thank you again for your time and the pearls of wisdom. Uh, where can the listeners kind of follow you or, you know, check you out? Um, yeah. Well, I think the easiest thing to do is just connect with me on LinkedIn. I mean, I, I think LinkedIn is such a powerful platform that many underutilize, the, you know, the, think about the amount of people that you can connect with and, and automatically you have access to ask them questions and do things like that. So it's, it's such a powerful content platform. Adam, I think we're frozen. I don't know if you can still hear me, but 